0: Colossians 1 verse 11 starting in the middle of a verse here being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins let's welcome our tea. Would you like to experience a taste of God that shows how real he is? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent vehicle to pass on all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And I ask that this will be a transforming word that changes lives that will bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The purpose of my message tonight is to show how real God can be. A taste of heaven on our way to heaven. Now, a taste of heaven on earth. Let me make clear what what it isn't. It's not coming into money. It's not winning the lottery. It's not living in a palace or getting a six-figure job. By the way, those people that have been interviewed, that won the lottery, almost without exception, almost without exception, two to five years later, they experience what they now call hell on earth. It wasn't what they thought it would be. But by a taste of heaven, I refer to how real God can be. Now, there are those who say, well, prove to me that God exists. What I want to show tonight is how God can make himself so real that you would not need a scientist to disprove evolution or anything like that. I'm talking about where we experience God in such a manner that you know you have not been deceived and that the Bible is true. Now, last time we looked at this word inheritance as it relates to finishing well. But there's more to be seen in this verse. When Paul has said to them, he is convinced because of what uh, he's been told by Epaphras, These people, with their love of the Spirit, uh, they weren't converted just yesterday. And he knows. He says, you are qualified to partake. It means have a share in, a taste of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, uh, you may recall, I focused on internal inheritance, uh, and I shall do that tonight. That's the enabling power of the Spirit that shows you... God's word so clearly that you know you've got it right. Now, we talked about external inheritance. I'm not gonna go into that anymore. Um, As I said, don't ask what your external inheritance is, ask what is your internal inheritance. The external will take care of itself. And so I wanna show by pursuing your internal inheritance, that comes by focusing upon the word, And the Holy Spirit. And you seek to do as Paul put it. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Now. There is contained a a blessing. In our eternal and internal inheritance. Which I want us to examine Tonight, to show how real God can be to you and to me. So real that you would have thought, is this actually possible? Now, bear with me if I explain how I'm coming to this. Many years ago, some of you have heard me share this. Driving in my car in Tennessee, I had what I sometimes refer to as a Damascus Road experience, except that it wasn't my conversion. All I can say is that Jesus was more real to me than any of you are right now. And I began to see things and know things absolutely. And I began to have this question over the next several days. You, you may smile, but I asked Is what I experienced in the Bible? And I had to look in the Bible to see if what I was seeing was really true. God can show himself so real that what you get from reading the scripture is a confirmation of what he can do. Many years ago, in the previous century, Presbyterians in America referred to what they called dying grace. That was their phrase. That a person who'd been a Christian for years, before they die, come into an experience with God. He's so real. And they called it dying grace. Except there was one problem many people lived after that happened to them. And they knew from then on how real God was and is. A friend of mine in Florida, his name is Randy Wall, told me that he was brought up in a cessationist church. Now, that's a word that refers to the idea that God has ceased to reveal himself in power through signs and wonders that all ended with the early church. It's called cessationism. God ceased to do this. It's nonsense. There's no biblical basis for it. But my friend was brought up in a church like that until his own father, who thought he was dying experienced something, and he said to his son, Randy, we have been taught wrong. Do you have any idea how real God is, how real this is? And this is the thing I want to convey. And Paul calls it inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, That's another way to describe this phrase that we've been looking at. Uh, it is something that has happened to the saints in glory already. Now, saints in glory, who are they? Well, they were the ones that received that rich welcome that Peter talks about. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. Those who followed, adding to their faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, all those things. He said, if you do these things, you will not fall and you will be given a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Well, we're talking about saints in glory. And where are they? With the Lord. They're enjoying their inheritance. And I want to make this part clear. They are consciously with the Lord. In other words, when they died, they didn't go into a sleep that will last until the last resurrection, there are those who teach this. It's not biblical. Don't believe it. This is why Paul said, I want to be with the Lord. (laughs) He wasn't talking about, oh, I want to go to sleep and wake up in the resurrection. No, in fact, the Sadducees who objected to Jesus' teaching were put in their place when Jesus pointed out that the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob is the god of the living that these men are with the lord now consciously just as elijah and moses were seen they were visible when the glory of the lord came down on the mount of transfiguration it shows that the saints in glory are alive and well they're consciously with the lord they are enjoying their inheritance in heaven In glory, they have spiritual bodies. They are recognizable. Now, the main thing that I want us to see is that we are qualified to receive the same inheritance as the saints in glory. What is more, listen to me, we can have a taste of it now. Let me put it this way. The saints in glory, they're not living by faith. They're not having to exercise faith that they are with God. They see him. He's real. Now, faith, what makes faith faith, is that we don't see, but we still believe. But those in glory believe because they see. The world says, oh, I will believe it when I see it. Well, the truth is, it isn't faith then. What makes faith faith is you don't see it, but you do believe because you believe the word. And of course, the world laughs at us and they say we're fools, we're stupid. But that's what faith is. But in heaven, they don't need this. But strange as it may seem, there is such a thing as heaven coming down or technically, if I understand what Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 6, it's when we are carried up into the heavenlies where Jesus is at the right hand of God. And calls Paul calls this a share. And we can have a taste of it now. In other words, it's to experience God and discover how real he is in the here and now. Not only when we see Christ face to face then, but God is pleased to unveil to us now before we get to heaven. And it is called in Ephesians an earnest Of our inheritance. Now, Colossians and Ephesians are very much alike. You've heard me say, Galatians is a little book of Romans, Colossians is a little book of Ephesians. And Paul wrote one right after the other. Uh, Colossae is just 20 miles from Ephesus. And so the same thoughts were on his mind. He wrote Ephesians first, but then soon afterwards, he wrote Colossians. And a good way to understand Colossians is to understand Ephesians. And some of the things not as clear in Colossians are clear in Ephesians. And it's the other way around. There are things in Colossians, not in Ephesians. It's a good idea if you were to read the two together. And so in Ephesians, Paul calls what I am preaching on tonight an earnest of our inheritance. It is being seated in heavenly places with the Lord. And so, where are they? They are saints in glory. They have lived in a previous generation. Uh, They're with the Lord now. That includes the Old Testament saints, all those in the book of Hebrews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, Samuel, David. And you come down through church history, there will be Irenaeus, there will be Ignatius, St. Augustine, Athanasius, Luther, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, They are all with the Lord now. And you see, they know how real God is because they're there. They're not walking by faith. They see. Well, what is it they have now? They have a spiritual body, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. We're given a body, a house, not made with hands. They're with the Lord, visible, although they're spiritual bodies. They are free of pain, free of illness, free of disease. They have a capacity to work, uh, worship without sin. They're free from sin with all its consequences. No temptation, no rival spirit, no jealousy. In a word, as Hebrews eleven twenty-three 23 put it, the spirits of the just made perfect. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. However, listen to me carefully. The taste we have here below does not make us perfect. 1 John 1.8, never forget it. If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, that's the mistake some followers of John Wesley made. John Wesley taught this immediate and direct witness of the Holy Spirit, but he made the mistake of preaching Perfection will not be perfect, but we do have a taste, a taste that lets us know God is so real. Now, so the possibility of experiencing how God makes himself real is contained in this passage. And so it's what you and I can partake of now. It is a taste of glory brought forward. And so to partake means to be qualified to share in their joy. You are sharing in the joy of those who have finished well. It's when heaven comes down, or as I said, when we are taken up into the heavenlies, a taste of the glory they are enjoying now. You see, here's what one discovers. You find out not only how real God is, how real Jesus is but how true scripture is this is the thing that left me with a conviction that I can never forget the reason I talk about the infallibility of scripture i can tell you the bible is so true and if you want to be a fool you depart from scripture or say well this part doesn't apply to me or I believe this, but not that. You find out this taste of glory will make the Bible come alive and so real and how his presence makes us see how real this is. And so Paul calls it an earnest, a guarantee, a down payment. Now, you may recall that we've said previously that God knows the future as perfectly as he knows the past. That's the reason that somebody like Isaiah or Joel could forecast hundreds of years in advance because God's been there. He's he's there, and he can give it to his saints now. That's where prophecy comes from. And uh, so that is actually what healing is. Sometimes God heals. You know what healing is when God heals? It's the eschaton, the last day, brought forward, and he gives a touch. Of what it will be like in glory. Uh, So. When we are in the new Jerusalem. uh, We will have bodies. But without any pain. So healing can be. An earnest. But that's not what I'm emphasizing tonight. The saints in light. Are enjoying this now. And so we are. It's an earnest. Of having been seated. In the heavenlies. You can get a taste of it now in heaven saints in light you see there's no need of the sun Uh, the glory of the lord is all the light that they need Uh, god is light in him is no darkness at all Uh, the glory provides the light so how real god is in advance of going to heaven uh, two ways of explaining it one a taste of heaven brought forward to the here and now, or taste of glory when the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter refers to it in Acts 3, verse 20, as times of refreshing. Uh, You could say it's what happened on the day of Pentecost, But that was not a once for all, never to be repeated again experience. It happened again. Acts chapter 4, verses 30, 31, where the place was shaken. They came down and the witness of the resurrection on the disciples was so real. I never will forget. One of the things that left me with this conviction is how literal the resurrection of Jesus was that he really is alive. And all that the Bible says, he's interceding at the right hand of God. It is so real. And so there are times when God does this. Well, the immediate and direct witness of the Spirit. You've heard me refer, perhaps some of you, to the Cain Ridge Revival. It is referred to by church historians as America's second great awakening. Um, This was the beginning of the camp meetings. They came from five states in their covered wagons in the year 1801 to Bourbon County, Kentucky and an area called Cane Ridge. Estimates of 15,000 to 30,000, probably 20,000 people, came from five states to have Bible readings and prayer and fellowship. There are a lot of details that I can't go into, but there was great fear among Christians in those days whether they were saved. Uh, Presbyterians emphasized predestination, that you might not be chosen, and the thought of not being chosen was terrifying. Uh, There was to be a communion service that morning. But for some reason, we don't understand why a Methodist preacher stood on the top of a fallen tree and gathered around him were 15,000 people. That's how many they think were there. He took his text from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And with this preaching on the judgment, in fact, the effect it had on Paul when he said it in verse 11, 2 Corinthians five eleven, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, fear of God came on the people. And as this preacher went on, men, women, by dozens and dozens and dozens fell to the ground. The fear of God was on them. They were so afraid that they would be eternally lost. And they checked the pulses of these people and sometimes couldn't get a pulse or maybe two beats a minute. You can't live like that. And there was panic. They thought they were dead. But after a few hours, they came out of it shouting with joy and assurance of salvation. And others fell. There were never fewer than 500 on the ground for the next four days. Nobody prayed for them. Nobody pushed them. They just fell under the power of God. And the result was they came up shouting and imagine 15,000 people shouting with joy. They called it the sound of Niagara. You could hear them a mile away. And the word got out in other towns, like in Lexington. They would come to the Cane Ridge. Some came to scoff. And it turned out they got saved as soon as they got right onto the premises. There was such power. Now, this is just an example of what I mean. When heaven comes down or we are carried up, Uh, you may have heard of the Welsh Revival. Uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones used to talk to me of stories he heard Mrs. Lloyd-Jones was actually there for a part of it. She was six years old. Her father took her out of school and put her on a train at Paddington to go to Wales. And people criticized her father for taking her out of school. And his reply was, she can always go to school. She may never see revival again. And she's... Talked to me about it many times. Dr. Lloyd-Jones told me this story of a coal miner who came in from work, and his wife forgot to cook his dinner, and he was hungry and angry. She had gone to the revival. So this man goes to the church, and he says, I'm going to bust up the revival. <laughs> when he gets there, he can't get in. There's so many people crowded at the door. But he was so angry that he just pushed Everybody aside and got inside. the next thing he remembers, he's on his knees in front of the pulpit asking God to save him. <laughs> such power, such power. My old denomination, when it was first brought into existence over a hundred years ago, Church of the Nazarene. they had this. So much so that they were the fastest growing denomination in America for a number of years. The founder, his name was Phineas Brzee, He would go from church to church in its last in his last days, warning that they must, these are his words, four words. He preached it wherever he went. Keep the glory down. Keep the glory down. That is the reason the church grew. They didn't have any money people. They didn't have any intellectuals. They were not prestigious. That was low class. Nothing about them that would make people want to go to a Nazarene church. But they had one thing, the glory. And you see, this is what is needed at Kensington Temple, where this presence of God, when you have a taste of heaven, where people come They may come for various reasons, but there's such power here. Well, now, this is what Paul is saying. He says, You Colossians, you've already you you, you qualify for it. And chances are some of them already were experiencing this. But it was something that was given to them. Now, here's the thing: the promise is to those who have been transitioned from one kingdom to another, having been redeemed. By the blood of Christ. Scott. Come here. (laughs) If I had warned him I was going to do this. He would have gone home. (laughs) Come here. Listen to me. Sixteen years ago. This man was transformed from darkness to light. The thing I'm preaching about, he's qualified for this. And may God grant that what I'm preaching will become a part of you. And I just pray for you, God, give this man an ever-increasing anointing for the next 16 years that he will be able to show this by his own preaching. Sit down. You see... Those who have been transferred from one domain to another, the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. When Paul said to the Romans, he put it like this If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He had just said we are buried with him in baptism, so we're identified with Jesus' death, also with his resurrection. And it means walking in newness of life. And Paul said, you Colossians, that's what you're doing. That's exactly what you are doing. So uh, when a person is converted, he or she could not have known what is going on behind the scenes, if I put it that way. We felt convicted of our sins. We transfer our trust from good works to what Jesus did for us on the cross. Some people honestly, innocently think it's something they did. But then you find out later, the truth is, it's what God does. And a lot was happening behind the scenes that they were not aware of. So when the Apostle Paul was given his mandate on the road to Damascus, God says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here's the thing. All of us who've been converted, before you were saved, you dwelt in a domain of darkness. And that's where Satan is. You see, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so we're told, Jesus said it when he said, for this purpose have I come into the world. And then he spoke about being lifted up and that showed the manner of his death. And then he made this statement, the prince of this world is judged. Holy Spirit, said Jesus, when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so the Holy Spirit makes real to us our sins. Now, perhaps there's someone here. You say, well, I, I would believe in God if he would be that real to me, like you're talking tonight. But you see, you don't start there. Here's where you begin. You come to terms with what you know is true about you. There's something wrong. The Bible calls it sin. You have broken All the commandments of God in thought, word, deed. Now, normally that doesn't bother people. But if the Holy Spirit comes alongside, suddenly they're aware of their sin and are ashamed. But you cannot make that happen. You can talk to a person, say, don't you know you're a sinner? And shout at them, it won't do any good. But if the Holy Spirit comes, they see it. And all you would be doing is being honest with yourself and admitting you are a sinner. Well, said God to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, that's referring to Jesus, will bruise your head. And the truth is, Satan thought that he was the architect of the crucifixion. Judas Iscariot was demon-possessed. Satan entered Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. The devil thought this is what he had done. But the truth is, it was God's plan. And Satan was defeated. Now, Paul says four things that have taken place about those who qualify for this inheritance. First, they have been delivered. You see, conversion is supernatural. It is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. One has been dwelling in a dark and supernatural domain. In some cases, demon possession. But in all cases, in dominion to sin. Messed up lives. I heard Gabriel preach this afternoon. You didn't know I was here. Well, I was at home watching you. And you talked about your previous life. How messed up you were. I wouldn't have known. (laughs) But you see, this is what God does in conversion. And there are some of you, you are still in bondage to sin. You're going to stay that way. All we can do is pray for the Holy Spirit to come down. That's what happened to Saul of Tarsus. He was on his way to kill Christians. And suddenly he was struck down. Like those in Cain Ridge. And the same... Saul of Tarsus, that hated Jesus, was now saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's what this work of the Spirit does. You've been transferred. You've been set free, free from Satan's grip. You're set free from the domain of darkness. They had been blinded by the God of this world. Let me point out something that everybody has in common before they're saved two things. One, they're sinners. Second, on top of being a sinner, you've got the God of this world who doesn't want you to see your sin. He wants you to think as you've been thinking, that you're a pretty nice person. I've talked to people who have committed all the sins you can imagine the worst, whether pedophiles or dope addicts or uh, taking uh, girls into slavery. Even they will say, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. You see, that's Satan's blindness. And may God hasten the day that you, you thought you were such a nice person to see what you're really like. And this is why John said, even after we're saved, we realize this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And so, says Paul, you've been transferred. You had been blinded by the God of this world. And so the natural condition into which all people are born, or to quote St. Augustine, St. Augustine. Here's a whole seminary course that will take you six months. I'm going to give it in one minute. You ready for this? People are born not able not to sin, but they were created able to sin. Here's the way Augustine put it. Stage one, God made man in the Garden of Eden able to sin. But after the fall, he's not able not to sin. But after conversion, he's able not to sin. And that's where we are. And then one day, when we are presented faultless before the throne of grace, we will be not able to sin. And so says Paul in Colossians, they've been redeemed In fact, there are two words that can be used interchangeably. One is redemption. The other is salvation. Salvation means you are saved from the wrath of God and will not go to hell. Redeemed means you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the payment, God bought us back. The word redeem means to buy back. God now has us back. We are bought by the blood of Jesus. And we've been forgiven of our sins. That means that your sins will not be held against you. All right. You say, Well, I want this taste of heaven now. You've got to begin here, recognizing what you're really like. It may not be a very flattering picture. But when you see your sin because of the Holy Spirit, it can be a a scary feeling. I remember a, a woman that was converted under my ministry years ago in Ohio said, I thought I was losing my mind. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. Conviction of sin can even do that. And then when the light breaks through that Jesus paid your debt on the cross And all the sins you've been committed are washed away. And that's what gave those people in Cain Ridge this joy. They literally shouted and they went on and on and on. They were so excited that they weren't going to go to hell. I'll never forget the same feeling I had the day that happened to me. I thought, this is so good. I'm not going to go to hell. Let me ask you. Do you have that assurance that you would not go to hell? Do you know for sure that if you were to die this night, would you go to heaven? Do you know this? You say, RT, can you know this? Yes. Not because you turn over a new leaf, not because you ask for baptism, not because you join a church, It's because you recognize that you sinned. You're sorry for your sins. And you admit you've got no bargaining power with God. You've got one hope, one hope, the death of Jesus. He bought you with a price. The question is will you tonight affirm what He did for you on the cross? Are you willing to say, I am a sinner? I'm sorry for my sins, and ask God to wash away your sins by Jesus' blood. Is there anyone here that needs to pray a prayer like this? Is there anyone here? You know at the moment you're not sure you would go to heaven, but you want to be sure. I'm going to ask you to stand up if you're like that. If there's one person here, you may be the only one, but if you are not sure, but you'd like to be sure, would you just stand up and I'll lead you in a prayer. Are you here? I'll wait just 10 seconds or so. It's okay. Last point. Those who know that they have been redeemed, those who know that their sins have been washed away, you qualify for this taste of heaven on earth. When God will be so real to you, you will say, I didn't know this was possible. I had no idea he could be this real. That's what is on offer. The saints in glory are enjoying that. A taste is on offer to you. That you know you've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And you're walking in a way pleasing to him. This that I'm talking about could come at any moment. There's nothing I can do to work it up. Or as far as I know, hasten it. But I would hope that this word tonight will give you such a taste that you will seek God like you have never sought him in your life. And if several here in KT were to begin to come in to this taste of heaven, it would transform this church. And who knows how quickly... We might see London shaken as London has never been shaken. Do you realize, last week I was in Cornwall. John Wesley preached in Cornwall. Hundreds and hundreds of people converted there. He preached in Bristol. Hundreds and hundreds being converted there. When he went to Newcastle, he wrote in his diary, Never in my life have I heard such foul language and blasphemy. And he wrote in his diary, ripe for revival, and he saw it there. London has never seen revival. I happen to believe that before the second coming, we're going to see a move of God. I privately, maybe it's because I want to believe it, but I have believed for a long time, it would come to London first, and why not here? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I ask you to take this word. Apply this word by your spirit that there will be not one or two, not a dozen, but dozens and dozens, hundreds. Leave this place with such a hunger that they want this so that their lives reflect the glory of God on their faces, on their countenances, that when people see us, they will want what we have. Hasten the day. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.